Thank you, Helene. All right. Well, as a church, we are finishing this past summer. We've been um, in a series in Deuteronomy chapter 5, looking at the Ten Commandments. And so as we've already heard this morning, we are coming to the end of that series by considering the Tenth Commandment or the Tenth Word. And so um, you'll see some connections between the, the passage that Helene just read for us and our message this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read Deuteronomy 5.21 is where the Tenth Commandment is found when it's given to us in Deuteronomy. I'm going to read that for us and then I'll pray and we'll dive in. This is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We believe it to be eternal and true. And as your people, we want to be people who are a people who are formed and shaped by the very word of God. And so our request um, is simple, and it's consistent with what we ask every week. Lord, would you take this word? Lord, would you write it on our hearts? Would you shape us and form us into the people that you have made us to be? Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, some of you may know my, my family and I just got back from a bit of a vacation. Um, spent a couple of weeks visiting my wife's family in Belize, and um, we're back. And uh, as we were traveling, um, you know, especially with this is the first year that we really, you know, traveled, and you know, with COVID, the reality of a pandemic, and so um, the rules were very different. If you've been in an airport or on a plane, you know that you got to wear a mask the whole time. Okay, so as one big rule that's different, and many of us maybe saw recently uh, an, an individual on a plane who didn't like that rule, and how badly that went for that individual. If you saw that viral video that went out a couple, maybe it was last week or the week before, um, th there was regulations, there was expectations, there were rules on the plane that you were expected if you wanted to have a, a safe um, seat, you know, that you were not duct taped to, then you needed to follow that rule according to that, that specific situation. Um, while we were in Belize, the rules were different there um, than they are here, right? They're handling the, the pandemic, handling COVID a little different. And so mask mandate was just nationwide. Everybody, if you were outside of your house, if you were not exercising, you were wearing a mask. End of story. And if you weren't, you were fined, okay? There was a significant penalty. And there was consequence for not wearing your mask. And they had, while we were there, the rules were also sort of changing. They had curfews in place. And so um, you could only be, while we were there, the curfew was a little later. Then things got kind of increasingly getting worse. And so they, they moved the curfew down to earlier in the evening. So for us, if we wanted to have a, a fun meaningful uh, trip. We need to know what the rules were so that we could, we could successfully be in that country for several weeks without significant consequences. See, this is the type of world that we live in, right? As human beings, we need to know what the rules are. What are, the, what are how is the game to be played? If we want to have any degree of success, if we want to see human flourishing promoted, we need to know what the rules are. And for some of this, for some of us, we love this. Because by knowing what the rules are, either A, it means we have some control. We have some say in how our life goes. We have some assurance 
that there can be, you know, that there can be some success or that we can navigate things without significant consequences or minimize the suffering or the trouble in our lives by simply obeying the rules. And for some of us, we want to know what the rules are, frankly, so we can know what to break. So we can know what we have to do to get into trouble because we like it, right? This is human nature. This is how the world works. There are rules, and the rules are changing depending on your environment. For some of us, we're going to go to school. We're going to send our kids off to class, maybe the university. And the first day, maybe the first week, will be spent going over the syllabus. What are the expectations in this classroom? How can you be successful? What are the rules you have to follow to promote your success right here? It's the way the world works, quite frankly. Whether we like it or not, there's rules. Many of us, as we consider the Ten Commandments, we approach them exactly the same way. We, are, we consider the Ten Commandments like God's rules. And what we like about that is it means because they're God's rules, then we know if there's a life that God wants us to follow, that we can manage it. Right? If we just simply know the rules at play, then we become the one in the driver's seat. We're the one in control. All we have to do is follow the rules, and things will go a particular way for us. We want to know what the rules are. And so we look at the Ten Commandments, and we think of them in the exact same way. And we like it because it means we have some control. We are, in some way, shape, or form, in charge of our destiny. We choose if we follow them or if we break them. Either way, it's our shot. It's our call. Will that not be the way the Ten Commandments are intended for us to read? That would be the wrong way for us to approach these Ten Commandments. These are, for sure, they're commandments, right? But when God gave them to us, when God gave them to his people, the reason we're calling the series Words to Live By is because they are just that. They are a picture of what God wills for us in this life. Now, again, many of us can approach this and say, this is great. Now I know what is expected of me. Now I can control how successful I am or I am not. And as we look at them, we may get encouraged. Hey, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not a thief. Pretty honest person. I go to church on a regular basis. Take a day off. You don't have to tell me twice, right? do good by my mom and dad. Many of us up until this point may have looked at these 10 words, looked at these 10 commandments and thought to ourselves, hey, I'm not so bad. In fact, I'm doing pretty good. Well, if that's what you've been thinking, all of that's going to stop right now. Welcome to the 10th commandment. If you've been thinking all along, hey, my neighbor really needs to hear this. My spouse really needs to hear this. My kids could really use this, but me, I'm doing okay. The Ten Commandments for you will be a wake-up call. It certainly is for me. It will be for all of us. And as we consider this tenth and final commandment, what I want us to see above all else this morning, what we've been talking about already, is that God provides graciously and abundantly for his people who are in desperate need of his provision. So we as God's people are desperate. As we look at this 10th commandment, we will see our need and that we will see that God does not disappoint us, but he graciously, abundantly provides for that need. It's really a wonderful, wonderful way to wrap up this series. 
So first, as we look at this commandment, what we're going to see is she's going to take three simple movements. First, what is it saying? Why is he saying it? And third, how do we live it? Okay, so what, why, and how. Very simple format. It's been my format for every message of this series. What, why, and how. Okay, so first, let's consider the 10th commandment together. What does it mean to not covet? Do not covet. A simple definition would be this. An unchecked, what does it mean to covet? Is an unchecked desire. It's an intentional word. Unchecked desire for that which God has given to another. An unchecked desire that is formed in your heart. A longing, a craving, a desire for something that does not belong to you. That's what you're not supposed to do. Okay? That's what it means. And, and Moses helps us out here. Remember, this is the second giving of the Ten Commandments. The first you will see in Exodus chapter 20. What's unique about the Tenth Commandment, between, it's different between the one in Exodus 20 and the one right here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, both written by Moses. What's different is the word desire. And you won't see that word in Exodus chapter 20. But you do see it here. So, so Moses helps us out, giving us a, a bit of a, a deeper understanding of this word covet he, by including the word desire. He, he helps us. He defines what it means. To covet is to desire, to long, to fixate, to crave that which is not yours. The word covet is a, is a strange word for many of our modern ears. Nonetheless, it is a very important word, important enough that it is in the Ten Commandments. And what are we not to covet? What are we not to long to desire after? Well, he says very clearly in the text, he lists seven different things you are not to covet. Neighbor's spouse, neighbor's house, field, male servants, female servants, ox, donkey. Seven different things that don't belong to you but belong to somebody else. If you are familiar with biblical literature, you know that seven is a significant number. Really what he's trying to get at is the totality. It's a, it's a ban on the totality of that which does not belong to you. Anything that is not yours, you ought not to covet. You ought not to fixate on. You ought not to allow your heart to get carried away dreaming about what if one day that could be yours. Tenth commandment says, don't let it happen. See, what's unique about this 10th commandment, which we've seen in different places throughout the 10 commandments, but it is especially emphasized here in the 10th commandment, is that this is a matter of the heart. What the 10th commandment is primarily concerned about is our heart, the condition of our heart. It's distinctly an inward focus that we see here evident in the 10th commandment. This commandment is telling us that, that God not only cares about the outward, external actions of his people, but he cares about what happens in their heart. He looks at the heart. He knows the heart. And ultimately, God judges the heart. It's so important for us to remember today in this world, in our day and age, See, in, in our day and age, what is happening, and this is historically what happens, is that we want to group people according to maybe two different groups. We want to place people in either certain groups that we want to designate as good groups of people. These are the good people. And other groups of people are bad. These are the bad groups of people. And conveniently, we often place ourselves in the good group of people, right? We want to be the good, the good guys, that's what we want. So we kind of divide society along these lines. These are the good groups of folks, and these are the bad groups of folks. Well, 
That's not how God has wired us as human beings. Somebody who gives us a, a good insight into the sort of the trappings of our heart is famous Russian author and political prisoner Alexander Solzhenitsyn. In his Gulag Archipelago, he writes, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. See, the reality is there are not just good groups of people and bad groups of people. The reality is the line separating good and evil passes through every single one of our hearts. The way the Bible says it is there is no one who is righteous, not even one. That we are all sinners. Every single one of us is in desperate need of God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his salvation. Every single one of us. And we see that very clearly when we look at the 10th commandment. See, heart matters. Here's what's tricky about this one. Is that this is a commandment that if you're breaking it, potentially nobody can know but you. Because it's so deep in our heart. It can be hidden. And oftentimes it's hard to see. But when you peer, when I peer into my heart when you, if you allow yourself just the opportunity to be honest for just a few moments this morning with yourself, if you were to pull back the curtains of your heart and peer in there, what you will see, what I will see, is that there is a part of us that thinks to ourselves, wow, I'd really like to have that. When we open up our Facebook what do you call it, timeline? Is that what it's called now? I don't know. Okay, thing where you see other people doing stuff. Just think about it for a moment. When, when you get on Facebook or Instagram and you see how your friends, your families, your classmates, your colleagues live their lives. See the cars that they drive. You see the houses that they live in. These are your peers. They've had the same opportunity as you have, maybe. And you're thinking to yourself, I didn't know they did it like that. My goodness. Look at their family. All their kids get great grades. They're on scholarships. Boy, I want that for my kids. See, here's the deal. Every, within seconds, everybody in this room could be staring into another person's life. And if we're not careful, it is a matter of seconds before we start to see something creep up in our hearts that is evil. And it is a longing that if it goes unchecked, turns into covetousness. Their life, you want their life for you. In the 10th commandment, God says, it shall not be. And the truth is, if we're just honest with ourselves. We're all, we're all guilty of this, likely in the last 24 hours. And it's quite possibly nobody knows it but you, but you. And you might be thinking to yourself, what's the big deal? 
If it's a matter of my heart, then it's between me and God. Why does it matter? What business does he have to say what goes on in my heart? It's my heart. Well, here's the deal. As we've already talked about, God is a good God. He is a gracious God. And he wants to promote your flourishing. He wants you to be as happy as possible. And he recognizes that that desire goes unchecked. It will not promote your flourishing. It will not promote your joy. And it will not promote flourishing and joy in this world. It simply won't do it. So why is this such a big deal? Well, here's three reasons. First, why is this in the Ten Commandments? I mean, honestly, many of us might get to this one and say, what's the big deal? This is between me and God. I'll give you three reasons. First, there is an outward impact. The Bible's very clear about this. You see it play out in the world around us every day on the news, likely in your life, maybe in your neighborhood and workplace as well. There's an outward impact. Are there slides for this or not? No slides. Great. Okay. There's an outward impact. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, tells us as much. This is God's word. James chapter 4 says this. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Social conflict. What causes it? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder. What's the, what's the internal thing that produces murder? You desire and you don't have it, so you kill. You covet and you cannot obtain. Your heart is set on that career, on that spouse, on that car, on that education, on that reputation, on and on and on you can go. You, you desire, you covet and you can't get it. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, while this is, to be sure, a matter of the heart, one that can be hidden, it can't be hidden for long. If you continue to allow it to go unchecked, there will be, you can take it to the bank, an external impact. It will begin to impact your social relationships, the world that you navigate. We can see this on a large scale, nations at war with one another because they have oil or they have land or they have people that the other wants. So they kill, they fight, there's conflict, there's tension. Coveting can cause us, maybe on a more personal level, and maybe this is where you see it easier, to resent the flourishing of others. We see others around us in our life doing well, having the life that we want for ourselves. And what do we do? We're so tempted to begin to resent them. We begin to resent them. This person drives me nuts. Always posting all their stuff online. We begin to resent them. It impacts our social relationships with people around us. And this is the complete opposite of what the gospel is supposed to create in us. I mean, think about it. There's a good chance that maybe some of us drove in here today and we're looking at one of our brothers or sisters, you know, here in the church, thinking of how they drove in here. We're looking at their car and we're thinking to ourselves, wow got rust around the wheel wells of my car. Boy, that looks pretty nice, right? And we begin to resent 
the social status of even our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there could be nothing more antithetical to the gospel than that. What is the gospel supposed to produce in God's people when we see the flourishing of our brothers and sisters? We are not supposed to set our minds on it, wanting it for ourselves, but rather what the gospel produces in God's people because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we are to rejoice when our brothers and sisters are rejoicing. We are to weep when our brothers and sisters are weeping. We are not to look at their status, their position, their possessions and think, that ought to be mine. It impacts us socially. There's also an upward impact. We've said this many times as we've gone through this series, that there is an upward focus to these Ten Commandments. God is concerned. He wants to direct us and instruct us. He wants to cultivate within us our relationship with him and our duty towards him. And so he gives us these two commandments. He shows us what that relationship ought to look like. He wants us to, to be in right relationship with him. So the Ten Commandments provide instruction along those lines. There's a, a God word. There's an upward focus to these commandments. You look at them, especially in the first five commandments, you see it front and center. But it's also right here in the Tenth Commandment, maybe surprisingly so. Not so surprising when you consider what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. When Paul is instructing God's people on how to live the life that God has called them to live, he says, put to death that which is earthly in you. And listen to what he describes as being earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is not only the hardest word for me to say in the Bible, but it's also equal, he says, to idolatry. Put these things to death, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That seems like a big leap, doesn't it? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Paul is saying covetousness is equal to idolatry. It leads to idolatry. How does the 10th commandment relate to the first commandment, which is all concerned with idolatry? To covet is to call into question the very providence of God. God's providence, his, his good, his purposeful, his sovereignty over you and your life, to call that into question if God is providential over all of our life and in his goodness, God knows our needs, wants to give us the desires of our heart. But when we aren't content with how that plays out, what that produces in our life, and we say, whoa, whoa, this is not what I wanted, then we're calling his providence into question. We're calling his goodness into question. And it is a short move between doing that and starting to worship the very things you want. The, you begin to trade your worship for, that is rightfully deserved to the creator and the creator alone for his creation. You turn, trade in your loyalty to the giver of all gifts and begin to worship the gifts. This is what covetousness leads to. Idolatry. And so you begin to see how the Ten Commandments come full circle. It impacts our relationship with God himself. A covetous heart. A heart that is unchecked for the desires of other people will impact your relationship with God himself. 
You'll begin to worship that which you don't have. That's a major problem. Finally, there's an inward impact. There's an outward impact externally, socially. There's an upward impact between us and God spiritually. And finally, there's an inward impact. Celine was reading Luke chapter 12, verse 15, says this. This is Jesus' words. And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard. Twice. Take care. Be on your guard. Pay attention. Protect. Against all covetousness. Give a high-level attention to the desires in your heart that go unchecked for that which does not belong to you. Give your full attention to it. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus shows us how deeply connected our hearts can become to our possessions. And here's the deal, guys. This is the way the world wants us to think. Our economy, the consumer culture that we live in, wants us to want what we don't have 24 hours a day. They want you and me to believe the lie that our life does consist in our possessions, that my identity is bound up in my V8 or my 3,000 square foot house or my Apple watch or the new iPhone that's coming out and who knows when. That if I don't have that, I don't mean much. That's the lie that is pushed at us 24 hours a day. And Jesus says, be on your guard. Protect your heart. Pay attention to it. Wage war against that. That's not who you are. Those spiritual blessings that we read in Ephesians chapter 1 for communion, that's who you are, a child of God. He's obtained an inheritance for you. You are sealed with a promise. He has blessed you so richly. This world cannot compete what we have in Jesus. It's going to give you all kinds of lies and false promises constantly, you bet. But it can't touch what Jesus has to offer. Jesus, do not buy it. Don't buy that. It's dangerous. It's so dangerous. There's no sin in all the Ten Commandments. More dangerous, I would suggest, than covetousness. Because it's hard to discern. You're usually the last person to know that you're coveting. It's dangerous because it affects the whole of your soul. It allows your whole soul to be focused on worshiping something that is not God. It's dangerous because it's a radical sin. It's a root sin. It, 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 it gives root to all other types of sin in your life. It's dangerous, especially for the believer, because it is soul-killing. It allows a believer to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to say that he loves God above all else, all the while pursuing something other than God. And oftentimes we're the last to know it, because what we often do is we often say, oh, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Right? Uh, you look at the Ten Commandments, you think, well, I haven't done that. But this one's just between me and God. It's not, not, not that big of a deal. Right? We minimize it. And Jesus is saying, don't. It's a big deal. So, we see that the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment especially, is concerned with really the totality of our life. 
our social relationships, our spiritual relationships, our inward life. What are we to do about it as a people? I'll give you three things quickly. I'll try to make it quick. The first is this. If you're thinking, well, what kind of life is this calling me to? What am I supposed to? I can feel the covetousness at work within me. What are we supposed to do about it? Number one, treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. My hope is, is that as we wrap up this series on the Ten Commandments, that you will not have walked away thinking, wow, those are some really cool rules. What a wonderful code of ethic. This is fantastic. That's not the hope. That's not the goal. Rather, as we look at these ten words to live by, we want you to walk away thinking, my goodness, how amazing is Jesus Christ? How glorious is Jesus? See, because the Ten Commandments, what they show us, we see it especially here in the 10th, is we learn as we consider them how desperately we need help. How much we don't stand a chance to follow these 10, ten words. We can't do it. That we are all sinners in need of grace. As we look into God's law and we compare it with our heart and life, what should show up on the surface, first and foremost, is our desperate need. This is exactly why Paul points to the 10th commandment in Romans chapter 7. He says this, when he talks specifically about the law, the purpose of the law, he says, what shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, if it wasn't for him considering the law, being educated on the law, memorizing the law, learning the law, had he not known the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known, then here's his example, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, if God had not spoken his word, in the Ten Commandments, then we would not know what sin is. And his obvious example, where he clearly shows up, is the Tenth Commandment. He wouldn't have thought that this was a problem. This is the inward nature of our sin. See, you can look at the rest of the law, much like Paul did, and think to yourself, hey, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a thief, I keep this, I do that, I'm doing okay. Heck, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees blameless before the law. I'm a good guy. You can't do that with the 10th commandment. When he got to the 10th commandment, Paul recognized his sin, his inability to keep the law. Recognizes that he can't do that one. No matter how hard he tries, every time he looks into his heart, there it is. And this is, should be obvious as we just consider the, the history of Israel as a people. They've been given these laws in Exodus 20. Here they are on the precipice of going into the promised land on the other side of the Jordan, and they're reminded of what the laws are and what we've seen between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 and between Deuteronomy 5 and the rest of the Old Testament is that God's people can't keep the law, that they're failures time and time again. They've given themselves over to immorality and to idolatry, to injustice, they're not following it. Their story is that of a fallen, rebellious people in need of God's gracious forgiveness. They need, ultimately, new hearts. 
That's what Jeremiah says in chapter 20 and 31. He says the promise that God gives them is that what he's going to do for them is he's going to give them a new heart. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Ultimately, what God's people need is a heart. What do you call it? Transplant. Sorry, I was trying to think of transfusion, but that wasn't it. So thank you. A heart transplant. They need surgery. They need new hearts. Their story is our story. As a people, we need forgiveness. We're in desperate need. Try as we might, we can't, we can't meet this expectation. We're going to break this law. Ultimately, just like God's people need new hearts, that's what we need. And this is precisely what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so precious and worthy to be treasured. Jesus' sacrificial death, his life for ours. Mind you, Jesus is the only one who could keep the law. And yet he gives his life up for us, people who have no ability to do it, right? Who are in desperate need. He gives his life for us. All that the prophet Jeremiah promised of God would, would ultimately be done through Jesus. And what this should do for us as a people, as we consider what God has done for us, this should free us up. What absolute good news for us. Life doesn't have to be an exhausting checklist of do's and don'ts. That's exhausting. Who wants that? Unfortunately, many of us view Christianity like that. Constant effort, no progress. That's not the life God's called us to. I've shared the story before, but years ago we had uh, got a hamster. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, but the hamster was pregnant. Many hamsters followed shortly thereafter. I wish there was like a test that you could take at the hamster store to, you know, make sure that, like, is it pregnant or not? You know, but just hamster explosion all over the house, everywhere you looked, okay? And one night we're having dinner, and I don't know where, I was upstairs, and I just walked by the room where one of the hamsters was in a cage, and uh, I noticed that the lid was off the cage. And I was like, oh, here we go. I mean, we've just got so many stories of hamsters all over the house. Just, I have kids, so it's not like I, just my hamster, okay? It's not into or whatever. But walk by that room, lid is off the cage, and I see the hamster's missing in the cage, and just, just kind of glance throughout the room, and then I noticed somebody had taken the wheel from the hamster cage, you know, the wheel that they run on, and had set it down on the floor at some point. I don't know why that was an option, but apparently it was. And praise God, out of his gracious mercy towards me, um, I noticed that this wheel was spinning, that the hamster had broken out of the cage and must have been walking down the room and just kind of, oh, you know, saw the, the wheel and hopped on it and just couldn't resist and was just going to town on this wheel, right? And, and oftentimes, it was, it, was, it was fantastic, right? Picked it up, put it away, it's great. But oftentimes, I think that's how we look at religion. We consider what God's called us to, and we think it looks like a hamster spinning that wheel around nonstop, stationary, work, effort, blood, sweat, tears, no progress, that type of life sounds miserable, and it's not the life God's called us to. Jesus died on the cross so that we could live a life of freedom. He gave us the law so that we could know our need for his provision that he ultimately gives us in Christ. At the very beginning of the series, we, we look at the preamble, the, the before he gets into the law, what he says in verse 6 
Before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The grace of God comes before the law. Grace of God precedes the obedience to God. He, he didn't say, listen, I, I've, I've got these 10 laws. I want you to follow them. And when you, when you follow those 10 laws, boom, you're out of slavery. That's not how it worked. He delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, from the land of slavery, to freedom. And then he showed them what that life should look like. And oftentimes we flip those around and when we do that, we do a great disservice to ourselves and we discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing is we need to treasure the gospel of Jesus. Second, more quickly, is we need to learn contentment, what we've already talked about here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 says this, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul calls us to combat covetousness with contentment. To not be constantly focused on that which you do not have, but to look into your life and to consider how richly blessed you are in Christ. And one of the greatest ways that we do this, and this is maybe just from a practical standpoint, is we have to be a people who are constantly connected to the present moment. And this is hard. This is hard. Oftentimes, we are left dreaming and thinking and planning in many good, good ways about the future. C.S. Lewis notes in Screwtape Letters, one of my favorite quotes in there is that this is one of the, the devil's greatest tactics to get God's people's mind off of the present moment because it's in the present moment alone where salvation is found. Listen to what he says in Screwtape Letters. He says, we want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end. This is what the devil's trying to cultivate us in us. A constant pursuit into the rainbow's end. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now. But always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. See, one of, one of Satan's greatest tactics is to lift God's people's mind off of the present moment. To distract them from the present reality of God's gracious provision to us by thinking about the future. So if you want to fight covetousness, if you want to learn contentment, you have to live in the present moment. You have to look around your life. And it, it doesn't mean that there's not desires that God's going to put in your heart for things that you don't have that are, that are godly, that are biblical, that you should nurture. We'll get to that next. But it does mean we have to prioritize what, how has God blessed me right here and right now? What are the relationships I do have? What is the home that I do live in? What is the job that I have, the school? What is the season of life? Learn contentment regardless of what our circumstances. This is not, I want to be very clear, this is not a struggle that only impacts certain socioeconomic status, right? There's only certain groups of people that, that really struggle with this. But once you make this amount of money, well, then it's no longer a battle. It doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. 
This is a, this is a, this is a, a struggle for all of human nature. Third and finally, we are to nurture good desires. See, desire, I'm going to be very clear here. Desire, this is not a, the biblical message is very different than Buddhism. Desire is not the enemy. Okay? The, the language of emotion and affection abound throughout Scripture. God provides us guidance and instruction on specifically what we ought to desire. Two examples, Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. We are to long for God. Psalm 119.20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. We're, we're to long for God and we're to long for his instruction, for his word, for his will at all times. Those are, those are two holy and sanctified longings that we can desire after. And he wants us to be a, a people who cultivate godly desires within our heart. So the next question is, well, how do you do that? H how do you cultivate that which God wants you to desire and long after? Well, there's, there's a lot of ways. So I'll just give you one. I mean, obviously through prayer and scripture, considering your life with God and how you live... Lots of examples, but one practical one to just leave you with today. I want you to consider who it is in this world that you look to, that you surround yourself with. Luke Burgess is a, an author who, who explored sort of the, the, uh, the idea of human wanting and longing. Not a, a Christian scholar, but he has a book called Wanting, The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. And in this book, he, he suggests that one of the greatest ways that we cultivate that the wantings and longings in our life are formed is by the people that we surround ourselves with. And we see this play out most practically and obviously in the home, right? Where you, you often see kids who grow up longing for what mom and dad long for, rooting for the team that mom and dad root for or what have you, eating the food that mom and dad eat, we're social creatures. And the two specific groups, one is, he says, there's, oftentimes there's people who are distant from you, public figures, celebrities, athletes, speakers, pastors, people who are, who are maybe, who are knowledgeable, who you look up to, that can influence and shape what it is you long for in life. But, but the second group of people is really primarily where a lot of this um, desire and wanting is. And those are the people who are close to you, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, people who you have relationships with, who you, who you enjoy spending time with. That in the, this context, desire and wanting is created within us as people. It's, it's nurtured, it's cultivated. And so, so a practical thing that we can do if we want to long for and desire the things that God wants us to desire is to surround ourselves with people who have that shared conviction we need to surround ourselves with other Christians who long for the will of God, who long for the word of God, who long for God himself. It's why it's so important at Parkview we constantly promote community groups. We will help you if you don't have people in your life who share that desire, who want to live the life that God's called us to, who want to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ together, we will help you. We will put you in a context of people who share that so that you can sort of forge your way together in this world, guarding and protecting your heart against all covetousness and longing and desiring for God himself. 
it's why we make a big deal. There's been a, a push recently. There's a, a men's breakfast last month. There's one coming up this week on, on, on Thursday. If you're a man, we'd love to have you. It's Thursday, 6.30 to 7.30 at Central Campus. It's a, a wonderful time to meet men across all three campuses, to build relationships and to build unity and to surround ourselves with men who want to mutually encourage one another in taking the next step towards Jesus. On the 28th, there's a, a coffee for women. At, I think 9.30 at Central Campus. Again, all three campuses together. All of this information is in your weekly email. Uh, but this year, if you need help building relationships, go to one of those two things or sign up for a community group. We want to help you. There's power in those social relationships. And it provides us an opportunity to be an encouragement for one another in the, relation, in the life that God has called us to. So church, in closing, um, God cares about your heart deeply, and it should be a huge encouragement to us. Not just does he care about what happens in our heart, but, but God loves our heart. And as we consider how sinful and fallen and needy we are, isn't that amazing? That God, God's love abounds. And that our heart is one that he wants. To me, that blows me away every time because I'm the only one who really knows my heart and to think that God wants that and to think about what links he's gone to have it to cause us to rejoice and to give thanks for all of who he is let's pray Father God Lord we thank you so much for for your word this morning Lord we thank you for um, just the truth that you are a good good God um, who loves us who longs for us um, and who provides a very clear path to you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the endurance to, um, to follow you um, and to trust you and to believe in your word. Lord, and that we would be able to just even this week guard our hearts against all covetousness, Lord, and that we would set them ultimately on you, the one true God. We ask these things in your name. Amen.